been talking this month, and we're going to continue throughout the year about passing it on. Things in our faith that we want to pass on, things that we need to take hold of and pass on. And this morning, I want to just talk for a few moments about three barriers that I see that, that <clears throat> would cause us to retreat and shrink back from passing on the things that God has done in our lives, the things that God wants to do through us and through our families and through our children and through this church. And these are three very real, they're more than thoughts. Obviously, they start, they'll start as thoughts, but then they become more than that. They become habits and, and actions. So we want to just take a look at them. We're going to do that through the account in John. We're going to read not all of John 11. I'm going to kind of skip over a few verses only because of time. And, um, but not because of content. So if you're following in your Bible, you know I'm going to switch a little bit. I just, I, before I start, I love reading accounts about Jesus. I, I love how he talked, even though I don't always understand it. And I think if I was one of the disciples and I was trying to understand, I, I don't think I would be any different than they were when they were just kind of like, Huh? I don't, I, don't, I don't quite get it, but I love reading about who he was, what he does, and how absolutely different he thought about every conceivable thing. His, his, his approach to everything was, was fresh and new, and I love that. So a man, this is a very well-known story. There's no surprise with this true account, but we're going to try to extract a few things for us today. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Lazarus. We know that he lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha. We don't even know if he was married, single, widowed, whatever. But it tells us what we need to know. And what we need to know is he was a friend of God. He was a friend of Jesus. Jesus loved him. He loved his sisters, Mary and Martha. So that's what's important for us to know. The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus, what does it say? Jesus loved Martha Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Which brings us to our first obstacle with living a life that we can reproduce and pass on. That first obstacle is disappointment. Now, in my thinking, my peanut brain, I'm thinking, okay, I am a child of God, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm all these things that the Bible says that I am. So when I pray, it goes to the top of the line, right? The top of the list. Now, uh, now God, I want, it, I want it now. I don't want to wait for the, the burrito to be microwaved. I want it now. And so sometimes when God doesn't answer now, now, when he doesn't hippity hop, to my prayer request, yeah. I start to think, well, 
Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's a... But the Bible clearly states Jesus loved him. So God's love for us is never going to be the problem. God's willingness to hear our prayers will never be the problem. But disappointment sets in with us because our timeline has been violated. Our sense of what God should be doing, when he should be doing it, is transgressed. So that's what's happened here. That disappointment sets in and we'll see it in the two sisters. Now, most of you that know us know that I was raised in the South. And Southern mamas know a lot about drama. So there were six children in our family. Five of them were girls. So we had the drama going on, even though we were Quakers. Now, try to envision what Quaker drama looks like, people. It didn't involve alcohol, but it involved, you know, smoking and everything else. So Quaker drama was going on. So I don't want to hear when I'm praying for my children that I have to wait. But yet clearly, Jesus said, nope. Yep, yeah, I hear, I hear you. Yep, I know what it is. And I'm still not coming yet. And I think that we equate quickness, the rapidity with which God answers our prayer with how much God loves us, how much God hears us, how much God cares about us. And so we, we kind of miss the timing. We don't want to wait for God's timing because we want it. Now, we want it now. It's my prayer, my prayer request, my children that need it. And one of the things I think about, just rambles around my brain. When Jesus was there for two more days, I know that the Bible says that he was waiting. One of the reasons he was waiting was to show the glory of God in this situation. But I also think that he was there going about doing good that people in that city had been crying out for a miracle. People in that place had been asking God for help. And those two days that Jesus waited purposefully, I think he was about his father's business. He wasn't taking two mental health days, just waiting around until he could go back to Bethany. So I think that even though we have the Holy Spirit and God is no longer limited to a particular place and time like he was when Jesus walked the earth, we still get this sensation that our needs, our prayer requests are the most important one. The things that I need are the most important and we forget God has timing. His ways are perfect. I don't understand, I don't know what's coming the way he does, but disappointment takes so many of us out. It doesn't take your salvation, doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but your effectiveness in the kingdom, your witness to be able to say with confidence, I know that for those that are in Christ, all things, all things will work together for good. Yes, I'm disappointed. Yes, I'm waiting. But this I know. I, I, people confuse facts with truth. Fact. I was raised by 
an alcoholic father, you might say. I was raised by an alcoholic parent. That's a fact in your life. The truth says, yes, but now you have a new father. Yes, but now you have a new family. And all those gaps that you missed growing up by that parent will be provided for you in this new family. I have set you in a new family with new friends, new mamas and new daddies. If you thought you had trouble with one mom watching everything you did, like Pastor Mark said, now you got a whole bunch of mamas looking. Where are you going? What are you doing? Who is that on the phone? What you looking at? Where are you going? What time are you going to be home? You got a whole bunch of them. So the fact might be something. The fact might be that I'm thirsty. <laughs> fact. I'm running out of time. Fact. I made a really sinful choice last night. I made a selfish choice last night. I made a choice last night that I sinned against God. That's a fact. Truth is, if we confess our sins one to another, if we repent of our sins, His blood covers that sin. That's the truth. We have a fact and we have truth. And sometimes we mix them up and we're so concerned about saying, this is the fact, this is the fact, that we don't say, this is truth in my life. I'm gonna wait on God to work this out. I'm gonna wait on the timing. Yes, this is my need and it's so urgent. It seems more important than yours. I'm gonna wait. I trust. I'm not gonna let disappointment rob me of this time of waiting for God to answer my prayer. Amen? So let's get a little bit further down the road here. Finally, Jesus says to his disciples, okay, now, now let's go back to Judea. His disciples objected, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you and you're going there again? He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. There is an appointed time for your prayer to be answered, brothers and sisters. There is an, an appointed time by God for him to, to answer your prayer. Not just to hear it, but to send that answer. Remember Jesus, as soon as he heard about Lazarus, what did he do? He sent the word. He said, this is, this is true. This is, this is what's going to happen. But now is the appointed time. So please don't let disappointment cause your faith to shake in God. You know what's the number one thing that people say why they don't believe in God? You know what? I prayed and prayed and prayed. My Nana prayed and prayed and prayed. I know this person is not a Christian, but they prayed somehow. And God wasn't there. He must not exist because he did not answer my prayer. And people get disappointed because their prayer is not answered. In fact, I was reading the statistic that up to 30% of King David's laments in the Psalms, remember all those times we said, oh Lord, I was overwhelmed. Where are you, God? Why won't you rescue me? 30% of those were about times that David did not see God answering his prayer. He didn't hear, he couldn't tell that God had answered. And so please, please, 
Don't let disappointment. In Jesus' name, those that crazy sneezing in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Bless your heart. All right. Let's keep going here. Time is my friend. Let's all say that. Time is my friend. Okay. They thought that Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you really believe. Come and let's go see him. Thomas, yes that Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. I know we always call him Downing Thomas, but here, he's loyal Thomas. He is a brave Thomas. Let's go die with Jesus. How many of y'all said that this morning? Let's go die with Jesus. Giddy up. Here we go. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, now that was about 20 miles by footprint, by tennis shoe. So it was about a day's walking, assuming nobody hopped on a donkey or something. So it took a day. So by the time the messenger got to where they were, I forget the name of the city where they were vacationing, that was a day, Jesus waited two days, then there was another day that took him to get back to Bethany. And there was a, a, another reason besides Jesus saying, I, I'm glad I'm doing it for God's glory. But there was a, a, a tradition that was a custom among the Jewish people then. I don't know if it still is. But, and they said that you are not truly dead until three days have passed. After three days, so on the fourth day, you are considered soul dead. So presumably, if you sprung back to life, if air entered your body, your heart started beating again, before that end of the third day, we just weren't really dead. So I see the wisdom once again in Jesus. Clearly, he knew everything, but I'm waiting so that there wouldn't be people that could say, you know, Lazarus wasn't really dead, right? It was only the second day. It was only the third day. So, that was the thinking for that. Many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Yes, this is the Martha that always got the bad rap for staying home and making potato salad while, Martha was, while Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and learning. But here Martha is having a conversation. I'm skipping a lot here because of time. So she has her conversation with Jesus, which is amazing. Now Mary comes. She saw Jesus and fell at his feet. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is basically what Martha said. When Jesus saw her weeping, saw the other people wailing with her, now, not only were their friends and family there, but in those days it was customary to pay for professional mourners. And they would go around, follow the family, and they would wail and mourn and weep. And that was a sign of respect, a sign that this person was deeply loved, would deeply be missed. Look how many people miss him. So these people, when they saw Mary leave. They followed her, weeping and wailing as they went. 
So when Jesus saw all the people wailing and sorrowful, a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. I thought about that a little bit. What would make Jesus angry about someone showing the healthy expression of emotion? You know, when, when, when we're sad, people that we love pass, we cry. That's, that's healthy. But Jesus is angry, starting to get angry, troubled. I think it's because death was never to be part of what we were to experience. That was never in God's plan for us to experience death. And I think that death, I know that death is an enemy of God. And I think that that's why Jesus was deeply troubled and deeply angered. And so he asks, where have you laid him? Which brings us to the next thing that we have to think about. Discouragement. Disappointment. Discouragement. Now he asks, where have you laid him? I'm asking you that same question this morning. Where did you lay that dream that God gave you? Where did you lay that gift that God entrusted with you when he knit you? And created you? Where have you put it down? Where did you bury that, that, that trust and that belief that God is going to save your child? That God is going to draw your child to him? Where did you lay it down? Where did you leave it? We get discouraged because we don't see things happen right away. We know some people have been praying for years for one family member. And we get discouraged. And so we find out, we, we wake up one morning and we realize, I don't even have that hope anymore. I don't even really have that belief anymore. I don't even really have that trust in God that he will do what he said he would do. We've laid it down. And Jesus is asking you this morning, where did you lay it? Where did you lay your disappointment with him? Where did you put, where did you bury the gifts that he's given you, where, did, where are they? The hope that is supposed to be in every single one of us. The hope for not only the resurrection, but for life here. Where did you lay it? That's what Jesus is asking here. Is discouragement the thing that's keeping you from passing on what Jesus is doing in your heart, what he's doing in your marriage, what he's doing in your family, what he's doing in your city, what he's doing in your business? Where did you lay that business that COVID killed? Where is it? Where did you put it? That thing that God told you to start, the circumstances have changed and so you laid it down discouragement will keep us from having hope in the only thing that we can truly hope in. And we need to recognize that. We need to, to own it and say that, you know what? I am discouraged in this area of my life. I have been praying for my husband. I have been praying for this child. God bless, God bless her. And she's just resisting. Don't be discouraged. Do not allow discouragement to rob you of waiting to see God's timing for that to happen. 
What other, what other choice do you have? Just Let's just be frank for a moment. If you stop praying for that errant, that wandering son or daughter, that spouse, that parent, if you stop, then what? Then what? Is disappointment in any area of your heart or your life? Yes. Then Jesus wept. Every child of Sunday school age, this is the go-to verse. And I'm going to keep going here. I, I did have a, 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 a revelation over this fasting period. You know how God will, when, you, when you, all the other stuff is cleared away, <laughs> and you don't have my chocolate, I don't have my TV, I don't have my, all those other little comforts and crutches and you start to hear things that you wouldn't have heard the week before. And I just, I felt like the Lord was showing me, and I, it's yet to be revealed, and I have yet to uncover what this means for me going forward. But he pointed out that I, I've, I've been attributing things in Jesus' life. You know how God is fully God and fully man, right? It's fully divine fully human. And while I understand, while I believe that totally, totally, I only understand it partially. You know, I, I, I just, there's a point where I'm like, okay, was that God, God is God or Jesus is God or Jesus is, but I've been attributing pretty much everything that Jesus did to his divinity and not really realizing or thinking about his humanity the way that shows me that I copy how to live. You know, we're always talking from staff about God is here and he wants to give us life to the full. Jesus' humanity is what shows me what life to the full is. And part of that is weeping when others weep. It's that empathy. Now that's another sermon for another day. So we'll keep going. But it's kind of like Spock. But I won't keep going. I just want to say this one more thing. You know Spock? Do y'all remember Star Trek? The old school Star Trek with Leonard Lemar. And I was trying to practice the live long and I cannot do that. Can anybody else do that? Live long and pro. You can do it. What, the, what have you done with all your time? I see what you've done with all your time. You've been practicing the live long. Anyway, but in my mind, it was kind of like Spock. You know how he, he, he was Vulcan, but he was also human. But the human side was weak. And you didn't ever want to give in to the human side. Of course, nobody ever really liked Spock. But with Jesus, it was all the same. He was fully God and fully man. So I'm going to explore that. You'll be hearing sermons on that coming up. All right. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Cave of the stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Practical woman. But it also tells me a couple things. When we, when we obey God, he's going to put us to work. So those mourners that are all standing there singing and crying and wailing, Jesus goes, okay, now you guys all move the stone. So put, put your shoulder to it, people. You gotta, when you listen, he might put you to work. It also tells me that Martha's like, 
we, we don't want to do that. The smell's clean. We've got an excuse for why we don't want to obey. Good excuse. Is that a good excuse? I don't want to obey, Lord, because I don't have the time. I don't want to obey, Lord, because I'm so important. I don't want to obey, Lord, because, okay. Didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God if you would believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus shouted. I can't really think of another time in the scripture where it records that Jesus shouted. Maybe you can come up to me afterwards. It's just, you don't see Jesus running around shouting a lot, you know? But here he goes, Lazarus, come out. Love it. A dead man came out, hands and feet bound, face wrapped. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Hallelujah. And that brings us to the third barrier, that third thing. Disappointment. No, that doesn't bother me. Dr. Steve, I'm, I'm never disappointed in God. Discouragement. Nope, I'm not discouraged. Right, nope, nope, nope. How about this? Deception. I think about deception in this area. And I'm going to get very personal for a moment. I can't think of one time that it's recorded that Jesus was self-conscious. Now, don't, not to be confused with self-aware. We all want to know how we're coming across to people if we're being jerks. I, Jesus was not a jerk. But self-consciousness, I can't think of an example where Jesus was like, you know, I really should say this, but I'm not really sure. I really should do this. I really should obey my father, but mm, I think this is a, my opinion, a huge deception on the generation that's coming up now. This, this obsession with how things are going to sound, how things are going to look. It's a focus. In fact, it's being intensely aware of yourself. So aware that you don't do the things that you're supposed to do. You're so aware, you're so consumed with how you sound, how you look, how it's going to come across, how it's going to be received. What if I don't say it right? What if I don't do it right? You're overly concerned with how people perceive you. Is this you? Jesus was always about his father's business. And some of that business was stepping on toes. All of the business was love. But he said things that were not received. He did things that caused him to be hated among the religious. In fact, that's why the disciples were so upset. What, we're going, we're going back to Bethany? They tried to stone you a week ago. And if Jesus had this deception going on in his life where he was, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. What did he do? He went. He obeyed the Father. Because he wasn't so invested in how he looked, how he sounded, what he did, what he didn't do, that he couldn't be obedient to God. And I'm wondering if this is not something 
that is a barrier for some of you. You're so afraid that if you mention the name of Jesus in a setting that's not perfectly, you're so consumed that someone will think ill of you, that it, that it pains you to think someone doesn't like you. It gives you pain to think that someone doesn't, is going to think ill of you. And let me tell you a huge problem with that. That intense awareness, that over-concern with you. One of the big problems with that is when we when we're trying to grow, when we're trying to take, whether it's a step of faith or trying to learn a new skill or trying to do whatever, what's going to happen? Uh, we fail. We take a step, we make a misstep, and we fall. We get up, we brush ourselves off. We, what did I learn from that? And we go. And we go again. And then we fall. Failing is a healthy part of growing. We, t we teach our children, don't be afraid to fail. Because we know that fear of failure is going to be a huge stumbling block for them. And yet, is it in us? Oh, I don't want to say that. But I'll have to explain it and then they won't. This is the third barrier. The third thing that I want you to consider. I want you to, I'm inviting you to ask the Lord. Is this in my life? Is this intense awareness? of me having to, to make sure everyone understands perfectly. I'm having to make every situation right before I'll speak out. Before I don't want to be misunderstood. That to me is the most terrible thing with someone that has this barrier. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you a question. If this is something that you notice in yourself, in your teen, in whoever, whatever, it stops you from speaking out. It stops you. And like I said, I'm not talking about awareness of timing and all those kinds of things. But this will stop you from ever saying anything that could be considered the least bit Whatever. This is a barrier. This is a problem. And you might need to ask a friend, say, do you, is this me? Do you, do you see this in me? Because it, become, it is a thing of fear. It starts out, it sounds so good when we start. Well, I'm not doing that because I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. I don't want to say that because, you know, I, I just have to be careful about how I word it to where we have, we don't say anything anymore. And fear takes heart, takes root in our heart, in our mind. Fear and faith will not walk together. They will not walk together. So I'm asking you to ask the Lord and let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be your ambassador, your daughter, your son, not to be so concerned, not to be so hyper aware of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing, 
Father, we want to be free. We want to be free like Jesus was to go about doing our Father's business. But Lord, disappointment stops us. Well, I don't even know, God, if God will do that anymore. I don't even know if God really wants to answer my prayer anymore. I don't even know because I haven't heard. Or we get discouraged. I have prayed and I have sought and I have sown into this field for so long. Lord, I just don't even, I don't even think it's worth it anymore. And Father, those of us that are fearful, they're only super conscious about ourselves and afraid to say and do what you alone have called us to say and do. Father, help us to be strengthened in our minds, in our emotions. And Lord, we repent. We repent for being more conscious of ourselves than conscious of what your spirit wants us to say, wants us to do. Father, we repent. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the families here. I thank you that you've given us an opportunity to make a difference in this city. Father, I thank you for lovely that's coming on Saturday for the girls that will sit in this very same seats and that will hear words of hope, words of compassion, teaching them about not being self-conscious, but to be fearless. We sang about being brave, but Father, we don't even want to say your name in certain places. Forgive us, God. We are your children. We don't want that to change ever. Ask for a blessing on the people here. Father, we pray for Mr. Cross sitting here. Lord, we ask that your spirit invade those cancer cells. Father, we ask that you will strengthen his body as he goes through treatments. Father, we know we've been asking, but we're not going to stop asking, Father, until the answer comes through from your throne, because he is your son and we are your children. So Father, I pray for them. I pray for their family. Strengthen them, I pray. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' precious name, the one that we adore, the one that we want to serve, all of our heart, amen.